Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Welcome to the Inside China Basin San Francisco Giants baseball podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, featuring our regular guest, two-time World Series champion, former Giants reliever, George Contos. Gabe Kapler is not Bruce Bochy, so he's going to run things his way. And I'm sure with Farhan, they've had their discussions on what the best course of action is for the ball club. Inside China Basin is brought to you by Keynes Tire in San Rafael, the lowest prices in Marin County for over 60 years. Good morning, George, and uh, happy All-Star break. Uh, boy, they had a really good home run derby, I thought. It was fun to watch, uh, especially Otani, even though he didn't make it to the final. Uh, Mancini, given his story, coming back from cancer. And, of course, Pete Alonso, uh, able to repeat as the champ. I mean, the guy, as you tweeted, he was just a machine out there. Yeah, he, he's, he's pretty impressive, the amount of power he has, especially at a place like Coors Field, where where what I started noticing is those line drives are not the way you want to hit them over there. you got to just get the ball up in the air. And some of these balls that I saw these guys hit that I thought were absolutely going to come down, it just it stays up there and it goes. So I think he figured it out pretty quickly that you have to elevate, not necessarily hit those backspun line drives. I'm wondering what it's like as a pitcher, you know, as a former Major League pitcher, to watch the home run derby. Do you just kind of cringe? And especially because it was at Coors Field where, you know, if you did throw a ball down the middle, you would pay for it most of the time, I would think. Uh, you know, it's funny now that you mentioned it. One of the things that I tweeted after watching, I think, the first round was now I realize why my ERA was so high at Coors Field <laughs> over the course of my career because, you know, the, the, the how small they were making that ballpark look was was pretty impressive. I mean, these guys – really just put on an unbelievably electric and fun show last night. And um, it, it was fun to watch. I think it was, you know, good for the game. Great to see people, uh, you know, fill in the stadium again. It was just, you know, a lot more like normal and, and what everyone's expectations are of this event. You know, even though Otani didn't win, it was still a lot of fun to watch him. And, and really this, this all-star game, it's not all about him, but he is one of the major factors because you think about him in the home run derby, starting the all-star game as the starting pitcher and leading off as a hitter in the lineup, something that we just haven't seen before. I mean, this is, this is pretty exciting stuff to watch Otani, isn't it? It's very exciting. I mean, how many times in the history of, uh, you know, baseball can you say somebody went out and was the number one seed in the home run derby that was going to be aging and starting for the American League the following day. I mean, it's unprecedented territory that we're getting into now, and it just goes to show how unique and how incredible uh, and how generational this guy's talent is. It really is very fun to watch. So when they interview Otani, he has an interpreter, and there was a lot of controversy that came up the other day because Stephen A. Smith on ESPN said that he didn't think it helped Major League Baseball that the number one face is a dude that needs an interpreter so you can't understand what he's saying in this country. And, you know, it really made my stomach turn, actually, when I heard that, George, because I don't care if he has an interpreter. I, I love watching the guy. I think he could still be a face of baseball. I don't know if he's the face of baseball, one of the faces of baseball. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I think a, a little bit shame on Stephen A. Smith for, for saying that. I think that, you know, the the Japanese culture, to my understanding, from the way it was explained to me, you know, when Ichiro was kind of coming onto the scene, is they're, they're very um, – you know, perfectionists, they, they don't want to ever slip up and maybe say something because of a language barrier. So they feel more comfortable, to my understanding, uh, using an interpreter so they can really get their thoughts across 
uh, in a way that that will come across the way they want it to. And I think they don't want to have those slip ups. And, you know, I, I don't think that it really matters that the guy uses an interpreter as long as he continues to do what he's doing on the field. People are still going to go see him. People are still going to buy his jerseys and his production isn't going to change. So I really don't know why that is a relevant comment that he made. Yeah, that was bad. I mean, he did apologize for it. I guess he's going to say more about it uh, here on Tuesday to apologize again. Uh, There are two aspects to it, I think, here, too, George. When you think about talking to the media, that's not easy. And if you don't understand the language completely, that's got to be difficult. And then... Like you said before, the fact that here's a guy who's pitching and hitting and the concentration it takes, the preparation to do both of those. I mean, you can appreciate that because you were a pitcher. Can you imagine if you had to turn around and be in the lineup the next day after you pitched? No, I mean, geez, the the amount of swings these guys took in such a short amount of time yesterday, you could just see them sucking wind and trying to get as much air as they can, as they could, just, um, you know, using that much energy in such a short period of time. And then for him to especially in Colorado, you know, they say it takes three to four to five days to kind of get your body used to, you know, the lack of oxygen, the elevation, all that stuff. And then he's going to come out today and start the all-star game and hit. I mean, it's really impressive. And you really got to give it the credit that it deserves. Yeah. There's the physical part and there's the mental part too, right? I mean, that's got to be tough. Absolutely. I mean, for sure. There's a mental part. I think that, you know, it's the all-star game. There's going to be crazy amounts of adrenaline for these guys. It, it's a packed stadium again um, for the first time in a long time with that many people. I mean, I know Coors Field holds more than the average stadium. So I I think that uh, the mental part, him going out there and maybe throwing one, possibly two innings, I think the adrenaline and stuff is kind of what, what gets you by in these situations. I was never an all-star, so I don't know. But um, I would imagine the adrenaline and just being in the moment there is going to is going to kind of supersede the mental part a little bit in today's in today's game. So the Giants have three All Stars and only one is going to play, and that's Brandon Crawford. Uh, Buster Posey has the hand issue, and hopefully, you know, his thumb will be okay after the All Star break. And and Gosman, he just pitched on Sunday. It's too bad we don't get to see him pitch in the All Star game. I really thought it would have been prudent to add Di Sclafani the way he's pitched. I understand there's a lot of great pitchers in the National League, but it's just too bad that the best team in baseball only has one player that's eligible to play in the All-Star game. It is unfortunate. I mean, there are so many guys who have done well and and who have contributed a a huge amount to uh, where the Giants' success is right now, being the best team in Major League Baseball at the All-Star break. And, you know, uh, Di Sclafani has, has pitched great. You take away that one outing against the Dodgers that he had, it might have been a little bit easier to to justify kind of putting him in, but um, you know he's I think he's definitely deserving of being an All Star. It's unfortunate that he didn't get that nod and uh, was able to replace Gaussman on it. But you know I, I think that if uh, if he has a chance to pick about being an All Star or possibly winning a World Series in 2021, I think the uh, this would be easy about winning a World Series. So I think he's probably getting himself ready for the second half and ready to pick up right where he left off. For B-Craw, I mean, this has just been an unbelievable season as we've been talking about throughout the first half. Tell us a little bit about his personality because, uh, you know, I don't don't think anybody uh, listening knows Crawford as well as you do. Just what makes him tick to be able to do this, you know, kind of get back to where he was a few years back and even better. I mean, this this is a career year really for him. It is. And, you know, the thing about Craw, he's – whatever I describe him to people, he's just a baseball player. He comes to the ballpark every day, ready to go. He doesn't care about 
you know, the attention or what people are writing about him. You know, he just shows up every day ready to play baseball. And that's what you want out of out of your shortstop, the leader of the infield. You know, he's got this quiet confidence. He doesn't have too much to say, but when he does say something, whether it's uh, muffled under his breath, kind of talking a little smack to somebody, or whether he actually speaks up and uh, says something to a group, he's actually a really funny guy. And he just comes ready to play. He takes his job very seriously, his preparation. Kudos to him, um, along with the staff, for really kind of implementing some of these changes and, and Krob buying into them. And that being a huge reason why he's had this resurgence. And, and I think the biggest thing, along with a little bit of the swing change, is just his approach at the plate has been incredible to watch him really stay disciplined in the strike zone and laying off pitches that, you know, maybe when he wasn't rolling with, with such confidence uh, as he is this year, he might have swung at maybe some jumps down the zone, uh, fading to below the zone. Some of those pitches I think he, he would get caught up swinging in earlier in his career. But this year he's really done a good job of staying in the zone. And for me, the defense has always been there for him. You know, even when he's had some years where he made, made might have made an error or two more than normal, he still makes plays that I, I watch them and I'm just in awe that he able, that he's able to make them look as easy as he does. Yeah, there was a play just the other day before the All-Star break where he dove to his left, he flipped it out of the glove to second to start a double play, kind of reminded yep. people of the Joe Panic play in the, in the World Series. But, I mean, it's yep. not uncommon to see that from Crawford. It's such a difficult play, and when he makes them, guys are just like, wow, that was, you know, that was a great play. But you, people don't realize how difficult of a play it is for him to have to go you know, up the middle five steps, dive for a ball, and have the control to glove flip it perfectly to turn it though. I mean, it's just such an incredible play that not many guys could make, and he makes them so often that we're just getting used to watching that greatness patrolling the six hole. He doesn't get bothered, too, by mistakes. If he makes an error, uh, he's one of those guys who just seems like he just kind of rolls with it. I, I wonder if his life off the field helps that. He's got a family. He's got kids and everything. So he doesn't, I, I don't think, I don't think he just takes it home because it seems like he doesn't let it bother him. Uh, is that what you get from him? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, I'm sure when he's, when he's in a rut, when he's you know, not, not going the well he, as well as he probably would expect or would hope, you gotta, the thing about baseball is you have to have a short memory. You've got to you know, fake it home, maybe on your ride home, really kind of take, take the lesson or take whatever you're going to take from the failures that night. But then when you go to sleep and you wake up the next day, it's a new day and you've got to go out and help the team win or make some contributions that will be positive for the team. And he's very, very good at that. Like I said, he comes in every day just ready to play baseball, ready to work, ready to kind of do the same things that he can do to get himself better each day, and he's just ready and willing to do that on a daily basis. You know, the personality of Posey, another guy who's kind of quiet but funny in a lot of ways, uh, is that what you found from him? Uh, you know, another guy who's an all-star. Uh, we're not going to get to see him play, but he's had a tremendous season so far. Yeah, Buster's had a great year. He's, he's you know, Buster's a little bit different than Craw. Believe it or not, Craw's even more soft-spoken than Buster. You know, in front of the media, Buster's very professional, and he's very – you know, he, he gives the, the answers, the politically correct answers. He's not going to dive too far one way or the other. He's going to kind of stay his course. In the clubhouse, Buster's a lot more of a goofball. He's, he's a, a joke cracker. You know, he, he'll, he'll poke fun at people in, in a great, you know, fun, fun uh, easy, easygoing way. Um, and a lot of people don't get to see that from him. I, you know, I always describe when people ask, ask me about what Buster's like, it's all, I always con, uh, compare him with insurance commercials where he's coming in pretending – He's going to deliver the baby in his full catcher's gear. 
that's actually <laughs> kind of a, a, a better personality on a day-to-day basis in the clubhouse of what Buster's really like. He's actually a fun-loving guy, and he likes to have a, a good time and joke around. And, you know, what he takes his job very serious, though, and he knows that he's the face of uh, this organization and this franchise for the last, you know, better m- more than a decade now. And, um, you know, he takes that very serious, and he wants to represent himself and the team and the city as professionally as he can. I'm afraid about this thumb injury because, George, I mean, you're catching with that hand. And, uh, boy, I just hope it's not anything more serious than it is. Hopefully he can come back right after the All-Star break. Yeah, I think if if it was uh, more more on the serious side, he would have had a brace on the, on the thumb or something. I think when I saw him the other day doing interviews, he was just wearing like a little thumb sleeve. So, um, to me, knock on wood, that seems like it's uh, a little bit um, less uh, serious than, than, than worse. But, uh, you know, hopefully he can come back and take the minimum time and, and be back to him, himself. And Gosman, I know you didn't play with him, but I don't feel like we know much about him. We, we, you know, we know that he's had a lot of success. He's really willing to throw that splitter a lot, which I wonder, you know, it doesn't seem like many pitchers are comfortable enough to throw it as much as he does. Uh, what do you think about him, and what have you heard about his personality since we don't feel like we know him that well? Well, I'll tell you what. I, I love the fact that he pitches. He knows what his strengths are, and he pitches to his strengths, and he doesn't care if it's a good day or a bad day. He's going to continue throwing it because that's what he's going to have his success on, and that's kind of something that I did with my slider is, you know, good day or bad day, I was going to be throwing it, and a lot of them. Um, and I like watching him do that. He, he seems like he's in a very good confident, uh, confidence space. He feel, I feel like his delivery um, is very, very repeatable, and his stuff is just very, very good. He's, he's got plus-plus stuff, you know, mid, mid to upper 90s fastball with that kind of wipeout split he's got. It's, it's very impressive. And, you know, what you can tell about him is he's a guy who, from what I've seen at least, hasn't, doesn't let the emotions of the game get too high or too low. If it's going well, he's just even keeled. If it's not going so well, he's still even keeled, which I think is a very good recipe for success over a, of the course of a uh, long baseball season and 30-plus starts. How hard is it to throw a splitter for strikes? I mean, did you ever try to throw that pitch, and did you talk to other uh, pitchers about it? I never did try and throw it. My fingers would not spread that wide, <laughs> and they, everyone would always tell me, well, just sleep with a baseball right in between your fingers <laughs> and really, really stretch out that stuff, and I just – was not willing to kind of mess around with that. People had told me that if you are throwing the split incorrectly, it's not good for your elbow. And, you know, I I was very confident in my, you know, cutter slider combination. And I threw a little bit of a change up every now and again. Um, But I never really messed around with a split just because my fingers never would, would bend that wide. But, um, you know, I've heard that uh, it's one of the more effective pitches because you throw it just like a fastball with a, with a split grip. And, um, you know, if you can throw a good one, they're obviously very, very, very difficult to hit, as we're seeing with Shohei Otani, Kevin Gaussman, guys who have very, very good ones this year. It's like the year of the split, it seems like. When you get into account, you know, that the hitter is expecting a fastball, like a 3-1, and one, and you can throw that pitch, I mean, that, that has to be maybe when it's the most valuable, I would think. Well, anything that can upset timing, right? You know, the whole point of of pitching is to upset the hitter's timing. And when you can throw something that comes out of your hand looking like a fastball with fastball intent, fastball arm speed, where you're not trying to manipulate it uh, in a way that's going to trick the hitter because the hitters can see that right away. And when they see fastball coming out of your hand, it's very difficult as long as the pitch is in its intended location for them to make that adjustment while the ball's 
in in flight towards home plate. So if you can throw a good one, they're they're very very effective when guys are looking for heaters. We'll have more with former Giants pitcher George Contos right after this. When it's time for new tires, you want the lowest prices and the best service, don't you? Well, Kane's Tire in San Rafael has you covered on both. Kane's has the lowest prices in Marin County, and they provide the warm and welcoming service that you can only receive from a family-run business. Voted Best of Marin for 35 years in a row, Kane's prices beat Costco's prices every time. Kane's Tire, 1531 4th Street in San Rafael. Give him a call at 415 453 2942. That's 415-453-2942 for Kane's Tire. Pitching has been such a key for the Giants in the first half of the season, and uh, they went with mostly pitchers in the draft. Uh, the first-round pick is a kid named Will Bednar, and we saw him in the College World Series for Mississippi State. He was tremendous. He actually had a no-hitter going in one of the championship uh, games of that championship series. Uh, tell us a little bit about when you get drafted, uh, you know, especially those first round picks and the expectations that exists, uh, you know, to tell us a little bit about what you've noticed from some of those guys. I mean, as they try to come up through the minor leagues. Well, I think from, from when I got drafted back in 06, which, you know, seems like forever ago now, <laughs> um, it was a lot, it was a lot different, right? There wasn't, um, this much media attention and coverage of the younger guys. It was like, okay, the, you know, the. For me, at, at least, you know, the Yankees drafted, you know, Ian Kennedy, Jabba Chamberlain, Zach McAllister, George Contos, whatever it was. And then you just kind of reported to, you know, spring training or the, to the facility. You went through your stuff and then you just started your professional career. Now, you know a lot about these guys from, when it, you know, college. Like, I know a lot about Jack Leiter and Vanderbilt because of all the attention that he's gotten throughout the course of this year and um, in the draft. And I know that he throws very hard and there, people didn't know that stuff back when I was getting drafted. So I think there's a lot of, um, not necessarily pressure, but there's a lot of attention that comes with these high round picks now. And I think they're almost, you know, they're being groomed to, to have that attention that the major leagues gives you from an early age. So when they get there, I think it's, it's a little bit easier for them to handle, but also going through that maturity of a kid who's 21 years old, who's getting however many millions of dollars now, and now the expectation in his head is, I'm going to be a major leaguer. It's just, it's very different, the, I think, the mentality of what it was before to what it is now. And especially with the investment that these teams make in these guys, the guys who are these higher-round picks just get a little bit more opportunity because of the investment these teams have made in them. So these first-round picks nowadays are getting to the big leagues. Not A lot of the time, they're, they're obviously very deserving, but if, if someone who's a 19th-round pick and someone who's a first-round pick both kind of have the similar numbers in AAA or whatever, that first-round pick is going to get the nod because of the investment the team's made in him. Oh, yeah, you definitely see that. Uh, how about uh, the college player? And we saw the Giants draft a lot of college players versus, I think, just the one high school uh, player out of the first 10 anyway. Uh, what kind of advantage is that? Because at least you have your education. You have a plan B. If you get hurt... Like, you know, you ended up going to uh, Northwestern. So if you didn't make it in baseball, at least you have that plan B. Absolutely. And I, and I think that I, for me, going to college was very important because, you know, everyone obviously matures at different times and different ages. But I needed those three years uh, that I was in college to kind of grow up a little bit and, and be on my own a little bit and, you know, uh, experience some of the things that you experience when you're away from home playing baseball and doing uh, doing all, all that fun stuff, wink, wink, 
that you would do in college and, and kind of grow up a little bit. Um, and I think there's just that experience level of pitching in front of bigger crowds, pitching in some of these college tournaments, college World Series, some of these bigger schools in the, in the bigger conferences, you get accustomed to, to playing a more intense level of baseball as opposed to coming out as a raw 18-year-old kid. And then there's a lot of factors that play into how you're going to progress and, and, and move, move forward, not only in your maturity process, but as a baseball player. It has to seem so far away to get to the major leagues, George, when you're an A-ball, right? I mean, those kids, when they first get there, or even, you know, second, third year, you're not that close to the major leagues yet. That has to seem so far away to attain your dream. Yeah, you know, I never really thought about it that way. I just, I always looked at it as, okay, I got drafted. Now I'm, this is where I'm, this is where they've assigned me. I went to Staten Island, New York for, for uh, short season ball. And then you just kind of got to, go through it all, right? You, you get drafted at, in baseball, and once you get drafted, even if you're the first pick of the draft, you still basically go to the bottom of the totem pole and uh, work your way back up. So it's it's one of those things that I, I don't think people really get caught up in it. You just have to take it day by day, continue to progress and, and mature and, and get better, and all that stuff takes care of itself, in my opinion. And you get a taste of the major leagues, and you're trying to establish yourself, and then maybe you get sent down, or you have one of those seasons like you did where you're going up and down from AAA to the major leagues. It just plays with your mind. I would think that is an area where, uh, you, you know, it's hard to prepare for that, uh, and I wonder how you handle that. It, it, that's actually a very good question, and it, it is very hard to prepare for, but I, I was very lucky and fortunate to have guys that I played with. I was always the youngest bullpen guy, especially in my first you know, three, four years with the Giants, I, I was looking looking up behind guys like, you know, Casilla, Romo, Affelt, Lopez. Those guys were the, all the guys ahead of me. And, you know, 2014 is the year that sticks out in my brain as I, I pitched very well. I think I finished the year, you know, with a 2-7 ERA in 45 or something appearances. And I was just on the shuttle bus back and forth from Fresno to, to San Francisco. And, Whenever I got sent down, I realized that it was nothing that I had done wrong. It was always a numbers game because I was pitching so well, in my opinion. Um, and a lot of the guys had told me, like, look, I know you're pissed off. Take a couple days and be pissed. Take your three days. But go down there and make, make them uh, realize that you were the wrong guy to send down. Don't give them a, a reason to justify you getting sent down by having a bad attitude and pitching poorly in AAA because then it will only take longer for you to get called back up if you're scuffling down there. And that always stuck in my brain. You know, whenever I was in AAA, I was always, my mentality was like, I'm too good to be here. There's no, I, I'm going to prove that I don't deserve to be here. And, you know, in, in those earlier years, I, I pitched very, very well in Fresno because of that mentality is I don't deserve to be here. I'm going to prove that I belong back in the major leagues. Yeah, I mean, it's great motivation. Uh, you know, I think on the Giants, the one guy who spent quite a bit of time in the minors and is really a valuable pitcher right now is Tyler Rogers. I mean, he's the eighth inning setup guy. I think a lot of people doubted whether or not his style was going to work, myself included, but it is really working great. These hitters are fooled by his pitches and he spent all that time in the minors. Do you think that's paid off a lot? Um, I, you know what I think he did? I think he obviously had, he was given an opportunity and he seized it and he went to a place where his style of pitching was appreciated and valued and he went out there and he pitched well and has continued to pitch well and a lot of times you only get one opportunity and you have to make the most of it and I'm glad that he has because he's obviously been an unbelievably valuable part of the Giants bullpen 
And he's so unique in that he throws so different from anybody else in the major league that you really can't prepare for him. And as long as he stays healthy and continues to execute pitches the way he has been, I think the success that he's had is going to continue. All right, second half of the year. Man, it starts out with a schedule that is pretty tough. I mean, you go to St. Louis for three. You play the Dodgers four in L.A., and then you turn around later and play them three at home. So you've got seven out of ten games in that stretch against the Dodgers. That's really going to help determine who wins the NL West. The Giants in front right now, they can't rest on their laurels. It was a great first half, 57-32, and 32, but they got to keep it going. Absolutely. First half's over now, and all you can do is just come in ready to play the same level of baseball that you've been playing uh, this whole season. You know, every, everyone knows that the Giants are in first place and they're the best team in baseball, um, and they have that target on their back now. And I think one of the strengths that this team has is they don't really buy into that stuff. They just kind of ignore the noise, show up every day, try and play good baseball, and that's uh, that's the, the DNA of a very, very good team, in my opinion. Do you have one key for them in the second half to be able to pull it off to win the division? I think that they still need to have – I think for me, and I'm biased, obviously, but you need to continue having good pitching. Yeah. You know, I think you're going to get Brandon Belt back. You're going to get Evan Longoria back. And those, those guys being reinserted back into the lineup is almost going to be like trading for hitters anyways. So I think the starting pitching and the relief pitching needs to stay on par with where it's been in order for them to have success. Pitching and defense, that's what wins, in my opinion. And do they keep breaking out the creamsicle uniforms? What'd you think of those, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm not I'm not really used to seeing um, the Giants' home jerseys being just cloud white for Carl the Fog or, or whatever they were based off of. Um, I really like the, uh, the bridge on the sleeve. I think that the SF, our typical SF logo, is, you know – awesome and i would have loved to have seen that on there i wasn't a huge fan of just the bright white though it was very very white and i'm not used to it and i love the home cream look because i think that's kind of one of the sexiest uniforms in all of baseball so that i mean they, they were not bad by any means but i would have loved to see some cream and 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 our traditional sf uh emblem on the jerseys you know i got used to them i actually kind of liked them but i just thought it wasn't the san francisco giants to me it kind of looked like an expansion team <laughs> yeah, these Nike City Connect ones. Every time, every time a team puts them on, uh, I always kind of I'm looking at it. I'm like, I don't know how I feel about it. You know, using the Cubs and White Sox just because they're blasts all over here in Chicago where I am. You know, the Cubs, the Cubs ones I wasn't very you know fond of, but I really enjoyed uh, what they did with the with the White Sox. They were all black with the white pinstripes, and it just says Southside. I mean, I thought those looked really sharp. So I think Nike's done a pretty good job. With, with some of these jerseys, and some of them I think they, you know, could have done a little bit better job of. Did you ever put on a uniform and say, oh, this thing, this just looks terrible? I mean, whether it be pros or even before you were a professional player. Um, yes, I have put on a few. I have put on a few uniforms over the over the years. None in the big leagues, thank God, um, <laughs> I've put on that I haven't enjoyed. But some of these promotions that we have in the minor leagues, like there was a Ninja Turtle day where <laughs> – the jerseys had all the Ninja Turtles on them, and I just thought it was so ugly. Um, but you know, people come and they bid on them, and that's the, you know, that's the whole point of these of, of those um, of those games where they have those promotions. But yeah, there have been a few over the years that I really haven't been fond of, and I was like, oh God, get this thing off of me. Well, at least you didn't pull a Chris Sale. Remember, he tore up a jersey; he didn't like it. He got in trouble for that. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, I think Chris Chris Sale might have a little bit more uh, authority to do that, right or wrong, than, uh, than than I would have. But I mean, hey, if if it's his start day and he doesn't think it's a comfortable jersey to wear, switch the day. You're paying the guy a lot of money to go out there and give you good good outings. So if he's not comfortable in the jersey, you should switch it up. <laughs> All right, George. Well, enjoy the All-Star break. And by the way, when are you back on uh, Tell the Fans when you're back on NBC Sports Bay Area? Because we're really enjoying what you're doing on there on the pre- and post-game shows. Oh, well, thank you very much. I'm actually out there. I am splitting uh, the um, the Dodgers series next week with Hunter Pence. So he's going to have Monday, Tuesday, and I'm going to have Wednesday, Thursday uh, for the Dodgers. And I'm also covering the Pirates um, next weekend. So I'm looking forward to getting back out there and back in studio and telling everybody my thoughts on what's going on. All right. Enjoy the All-Star game uh, tonight, and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks a lot, Joe. That's former Giants relief pitcher George Contos. Join us again next week for another edition of Inside China Basin. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.